mean we would sell the bodies to the doctors together? To dig them up? There'll be no digging. The kirkyards are too well guarded. We will, so to speak, burk them. Can't be sure of that. I'm sure, and I mean to report it. It's like Burke and Hare all over again. That is, grave robbing is one thing, but this is murder. You ordered this subject, received it here, and paid for it. That makes you a party to murder. You must leave this house. I can't do that. You hurt McFarlane. Save yourself, Master Fettis. Look at McFarlane. Gray, I must be rid of you. You become a cancer, a malignant, evil cancer, rotting my mind. Never get rid of me, Tony. Based on the short story by Robert Louis Stevenson, the Body Snatcher was Val Luton's ninth film for RKO and his first with Boris Karloff. Karloff plays John Gray, a local cab driver by day and resurrectionist by night, who helps deliver corpses to Dr. McFarland, played by Henry Danielle, who uses them for his medical experiments. One night, a medical student named Fedes, Russell Wade, gives a blind street singer a coin. He is shocked to see that later, Gray arrives at the doctor's lab with a corpse that resembles the singer indicating Gray isn't waiting for death to find suitable material to deliver to the doctor. Fetty's accuses Gray of murder, a conversation overheard by Joseph, Bella Lugosi, another one of the doctor's assistants. Joseph visits Gray and attempts to blackmail him, which ends with Gray strangling Joseph. Gray delivers another body to McFarland, who tells him to get lost. Gray refuses, promising the doctor that he will never be rid of him. They struggle, and the doctor beats Gray to death. Fetty's meets with McFarlane at a pub, and the doctor says he still needs bodies for experimentation and study, but he has to do the grave robbing himself. He convinces Fetty's to help, and they travel to a nearby cemetery where a woman was recently buried. They dig up the corpse using Gray's carriage. The carriage is too small to put the body in the back, so they must ride with it between them. As the rain pounds and the wind howls, McFarlane hears the voice of Gray saying over and over, You will never be rid of me, never be rid of me. McFarlane stops the carriage and examines the corpse. Pulling the sheet back, he sees that the corpse is not the newly dead woman, but the pale white body of Gray. Startled, the horses take off, and eventually the carriage containing McFarlane and Gray's corpse comes loose. It crashes, killing the doctor. Fetty's catches up and takes a look at the dead body of his former instructor, as well as the recently deceased woman. And that is the body snatcher. Uh, we, uh, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, initially Chris and I wanted to cover this movie for Halloween, of course, because it's the perfect movie to talk about on Halloween. But mm-hmm. we just, yeah, we just ran out of weeks. There were just too many movies that I wanted to cover to get in time for Halloween. And that was with even, uh, even doing two double feature shows in the space of a month. I just ran out of time. So we decided that uh, November 23rd, which is when this episode is dropping, was an equally as good date to talk about The Body Snatcher. Now, Chris, why is November 23 such a good date? November 23rd. It's Boris Karloff's birthday. There you go. So he was born on November 23rd in 1887. So he Oof. would have been 129 years old <laughs> had he lived. And considering it's Boris, um, who knows? But I, I believe he was cremated. So I, I, I'm assuming he really is gone. Uh, but <laughs> but 
But it's Boris Karloff, so who knows, right? That's right. You never. If there's anybody, I wouldn't put it past to live to have been 129. It would be. It would be Boris Karloff. So, so yeah, Chris. This is as I mentioned. This is uh, Val Luton's uh, first film with Boris Karloff. Just to give a little bit of backstory to how these two came together. Uh, I've mentioned uh, Val Luton on on previous episodes. Just a couple shows ago, we did the Seventh Victim. I did with David Fior, and the first uh, five or six films that Val Luton did for RKO. Uh, were that kind of literate horror that he was going for. And then RKO uh, hired a new producer, a guy named Jack Gross, who Val Luton felt was appropriately named. Uh, he thought uh, Jack Gross was uh, was a, a real, just sort of you know, worried about box office and was not an artiste at all. And Val Luton was crestfallen when he found out that Gross had hired Boris Karloff to a contract. Because Boris Karloff, in Val Luton's eyes, represented everything that he was trying to go against. Because, of course, Boris Karloff had been Frankenstein and had just recently been in House of Frankenstein. And he was crestfallen. But uh, being a good soldier, he agreed to meet with Boris Karloff. And apparently, uh, the, according to people who saw or were aware of this legendary meeting, uh, like most people, after meeting Boris Karloff, they, they, they walked away utterly charmed. And Val, Lu- Val Luton found out that Boris Karloff was, in fact, looking to do something more sophisticated. He had just finished House of Frankenstein, which he considered a mess, and he really wanted to do something more sophisticated. So it actually was sort of a match made in heaven, and the two of them went on to do three films together. This was, uh, this was the first. This is directed by Robert Wise. It is the first film, first full film directed by Robert Wise. He had co-directed Curse of the Cat People for Val mm-hmm. Luton, which he had taken over from another director who fell behind. So this is this is Robert Wise's first film as, as the sole director, and man, what a beginning. I mean, this thing yeah. is directed within an inch of its life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I mean, anybody can see that Robert Wise is here. He's, he, he's, he's, he might not be fully formed, but you can tell that this is a great director. I mean, the, the, the shadows in Edinburgh... Look like it could just eat someone alive <laughs> in, in this movie. I mean, and they and they almost do with the uh, when the uh, the street singers, you know, walking down this the 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 alleyway with with Karloff's cab, you know, trotting slowly behind her, and she's singing, and then all of a sudden she's not singing. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very atmospheric, and Karloff was definitely he has said that you know Val Luton saved his career. Um, because you know the the Universal monster movies, we all love them, but by this point, they had definitely entered their B phase. I mean, they were no longer the A productions that they were during the when Karloff was the monster when he played the monster. They had they had they were just cranking them out like sausage, more or less. And and uh, and me and Cindy actually covered uh, House of Frankenstein on our House of Franklinstein series right, on Supermates right. this, this just last month. And it's uh, it's a fun film, but it's this is this is like ten levels up, and <laughs> as far as sophistication goes, I mean it's it's it, you know there's that's just mindless, uh, almost brainless fun with all the brain swapping that they talk <laughs> about in that in that movie, and and this is just a, it's it's definitely a step up for Karloff, and and you know thankfully uh, thankfully he uh, made enough films with uh, Luton that it kind of, I mean, he, he made, he still made some stinkers here and there. I'm not saying he didn't, but. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, But he, uh, you know, he had some prestige movies under his belt here, which, uh, uh, you know, we brought up that Bela Lugosi is in this film and it's just kind of a shame that, 
this didn't it didn't work out into a multiple movie deal for him because he could have definitely used some Val Luton movies to uh, to bolster his career, you know, yeah. because he's really only got Adam and Costello meet Frankenstein to look forward to from this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, are you then, saying are you saying Bell Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla was not something he could look forward to? I understand. I don't understand, Chris. The Ed Wood movies, you know. Uh, so, which I mean, obviously they have a charm all their own, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, good. Just, just find. I had to know where you stood on that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been interesting uh, to see what maybe could have been done with Bell Lugosi with someone as caring as Val Luton at the helm, that would have been interesting. I mean, here he plays Joseph, uh, the assistant, and he, he's a real simpleton. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny, him and Karloff have the one great scene together. It's their final film. Joseph, is it not? Yes, that's right. You had something to say to me? Yes. Something very private. That's very interesting. Take a chair, Joseph. Can anyone hear what you say? Only brother. I know you kill people to sell bodies. You say you came here of your own account. No one sent you, no one knows that you were here. Give me money. Or I tell the police you murdered the subjects. Can't help but, uh, you know, see parallels of their career because in, in, in their one moment together, Karloff's character has the drop on Joseph from the beginning. I mean, oh, yeah. Joseph is so stupid where he talks about I mean, he, he's going to blackmail John Gray and Gray is like, does anyone know you're here? And Carlos yeah. like, no, no one knows it. And you're like, you know, you're like Bella. Can't you figure out what's your fault? You know, what you're gonna fall for it. You're, you're, you're telling him that no one's gonna miss you if you're gone. And you know, it's just you can't help but see the power dynamic of you know, Boris Karloff was top build. He was on the poster, and Bill Lugosi was like an afterthought, which is you know, it, as it was in life, as it was with these characters, you know. But yeah. it's nice to see them together one last time. Right, and it's it's interesting. I know we we're going to talk mostly about Karloff, but while we're on Lugosi, I, I think it's interesting to see, you know, uh, about every biography of of Lugosi will say, you know, he his his accent was a stumbling block. It's why he wasn't, you know, utilized more despite his his acting talent. But I think if you look at you look at this movie, and he's playing a you know he's playing basically a a a, a, a janitor basically in the yep. at the hospital. Uh, or the school, the medical school, and he, he's like you said, he's very dim-witted. He's he's cunning enough to figure out, hey, I can make some money and you know blackmail Boris Karloff. But he, this, he's not the, uh, the, the uh, you could say that Igor from uh, from Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein are a similar character, but Igor was so uh, manipulative and and he had that sardonic wit. You know, he was. He, you know, he had that gallows humor about him, you know, that and, and so they're like totally different characters, even though they're kind of the same character type in a way. And then, of course, you got Dracula. So, I mean, despite the fact that, you know, he had to learn his Dracula lines phonetically, apparently, uh, you know, Lugosi did have this acting range. You know, it's it's often forgotten because he's just cast, oh, you know, as the boogeyman. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, in this movie also gives Karloff, I mean, to me, and I know this is blasphemy. Oh boy. Uh, as much as I love the monster and Karloff's portrayal, portrayal of the monster, I think this is probably Karloff's best role. Wow. I, I really do feel because he gets to use all the tools at his disposal. He gets to use his voice. And he gets to use his smile. I mean, his smile is just, I mean, like at the very beginning, it, it, the, the character of Gray is, is, is so well-developed, especially for a movie of, of this period, because, you know, he's very kind to that little girl. And, and to his horse, you get the idea that he legitimately is, is sincere in his kindness to this, this crippled girl. <laughs> he's, nice and, to the, he's nice to his horse, he's nice to his cat, and yet he also uh, kills the dog with a shovel. Yes, exactly. I was getting to that. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he's nice to the girl. He's nice to his horse. He gives that, that slice, that, that smile to, uh, to Meg, who is Dr. McFarland's, uh, uh, maid slash wife, his secret wife, who he can't, who he can't t- say is his wife because of his station. And, you know, she knows him and he gives her that smile. And then the next time you see him, he kills a dog with a shovel and kicks it off the grave. You know, I mean, it's it's like, damn. I mean, it's just, it's it's such a, I mean, it's, it, I mean, he could just be, you know, uh, just a, a figure of just uh, complete evil. But he, and he is. I mean, he's very evil. But he, he, he's so charming with it. I mean, and 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 he just enjoys torturing Toddy McFarland, Todd McFarland. Uh, which, <laughs> I think's funny, but Toddy, you know, you'll never be rid of me, Toddy, you know, and uh, it's just he lights up every time he sees McFarlane, like, oh, I get to just stick it to him again, you know. It's just this—he's loving every the, the character of Gray is loving every minute of it, and so is Karloff. He's just enjoying the hell out of himself. You just feel it in this movie, and he's got something to sink sink his teeth into. And um, he looks just his his eyebrows are just uh, crazy in this movie. I don't know if they did something a little <laughs> extra to him, but I mean, just in the way they got his hair combed and stuff. I mean, it just he's just got this great look and that top hat, yeah, that and big the, stovepipe hat. He's always wearing it. He's like at, yeah. in every scene except for the one where he's inside with Joseph. He's always got that giant black thing on his head. Yeah, I mean, it just he's he's. There's a couple times where. I know when he uh, when Fetty's comes in and uh, tells him, you know, we need Fetty's comes and asks him to, you know, urgently go get a body because they want to operate on the little cripper, uh, the crippled girl. But uh, uh, McFarland needs a, a spine to, you know, to basically study to make sure he's going to do it, the operation right on her. And so, you know, which makes the tragedy of him seeing the victim later all the worse because he asked for it literally. Uh, of course, he didn't know he was going to go out and murder somebody, but but when when Karloff stalks to the door after Fetty's leaves, he hears the singer and he looks down the alleyway. You can his walk is very much like the monster in that mm-hmm. uh, that little piece I, I noticed just the other day, and I'm like, ah, you know. So I mean that that's why I think that. I mean, I'm not you know, I, like I said, it's blasphemous. I love Karloff's uh, role as the as the monster his portrayal, but this really does give him every chance to use all of his, 
all the tools in his acting toolbox, and and I think he does a fantastic job in it. Yeah, I would com- I completely agree with that, and I don't I don't know if I would say I like it more than his role as Frankenstein. We can get into what uh, my favorite Karloff movie is later, and we will talk a little bit more about Bar specifically after the Body Center, but. Um, yeah, one of the, the subplots that I did not mention in my summation, and you, you uh, just referred to it, Chris, was that there's this little girl who uh, is crippled because she was run over by – she was run over by a horse, right? Is that – I forget. Is that what it was? Well, I, think- I think that oddly enough, it's, it's ironic because the, her dad was killed and she was crippled when her carriage turned over, just like what happens to McFarlane at That's the right. end. That's right. Yeah, the, right. So the carriage goes over. And so they – her mother brings her to – McFarlane for this experimental spinal operation and he refuses and he keeps resisting and then he finally does do it and it turns out to initially they think it's a failure because she won't get up and, and, and Henry Danielle is great I mean if you needed a douchebag you, you got Henry Danielle because right. he just had that you know old mannered guy I mean the, the, his opening scene with the little girl is great where he keeps calling her child yes. know, even, even after they've told him her name and he keeps saying, child, get up, child. And then, like, he pretends like she's not there. Like, he's talking to the mother. Like, she's not in the room. And he's just such a dick. And he was a dick in Jane Eyre, which we yeah. covered a couple episodes ago with Stella. So it's like yeah. when, you, when you needed just a real officious jerk, you got Henry Danielle. And then you, you, you mentioned about how Karloff is not exactly sympathetic, but the screenplay sort of angles you in that it uses – Karloff's natural charm to play against McFarlane because you just hate McFarlane because mm-hmm. he is such an egomaniac. I mean, you mentioned the secret wife. That's a whole angle that I had to look up because I didn't, I didn't understand why he had to have a secret wife. And apparently back then you weren't considered, you know, like a real doctor unless you were basically like celibate, you know, like you had to sacrifice mm. your whole life to your cause. And so, you know, we know that he secretly isn't as dedicated as he says he is because he has this woman who pretends it's his wife and she's a she's a seer, which is that's a whole other angle. She can see the future. There's that whole bit. So it's like Henry Danielle as McFarlane is so morally compromised that even though Gray is a bad guy, you can't help but enjoy watching Gray torment McFarlane because you don't like McFarlane either. Right. And he's played by Henry Danielle, who doesn't have the natural charm that Karloff has, the only, the ostensible good guy in the movie is Fetty. He's played by Russell Wade, and all due respect to Russell Wade, he's kind of like David Manners in Dracula. He's just such a bland leading man that if you're watching the movie, you just want to get back to Grey because he's just so much more interesting to follow. Right, yeah. I can never decide with Russell Wade if he's if he's really just playing the naive part really well, or he's just not up to the level of the other actors in the movie, I, it's a little bit in between, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's no offense to him, but because he's got yeah, a great yeah. cast, you know. But uh, yeah, Henry Danielle, he he is he's great, and I, I think the first time I ever saw him was on the Swamp Fox, uh, the old Disney series with Leslie Nielsen. Uh, he was the I've, villain. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. He played, of course, yeah, he, he played the villain. Yeah, he's yeah, such he, a dick. Yeah, he's always yeah. a dick. Yeah, <laughs> and he was in uh, some thriller ep- episodes of uh, Karloff's thriller series. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. That's yeah, he shows up here and there. Yeah, in, in several of them. So, 
I guess Karloff, you know, kept him on the kept him kept his phone number and called him up when he. <laughs> Henry, I'll go I have a show for... Yeah, exactly. We're both doing Karloff and Frey. You do yours. <laughs> yours is way better than mine. Go ahead. No, oh, that's it. So, you'll never be rid of me, Taldy. I've got the script for you. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the lisp and everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but it the the scenes with Karloff and and Danielle are just I mean they you can just you can feel Danielle's skin crawling and you can just you can just feel the heat off of Karloff's face where he's just smiling from ear to ear. He's just so happy that his buddy's here that he can torment and and it it you know there's some there's some great moments where you know where Karloff really confronts him with you know, why he torments him. And this ties into the real life Burke and Hare murders, uh, where, um, and, and, and the doctor that, uh, that they supplied bodies for, which was a Dr. Knox. And that's who McFarland was supposedly a student of. He was basically the fetties to Knox. Right. And now history is repeating itself again. And Gray was an accomplice of Burke and Hare, uh, in this, in this fictional story. And that, uh, you know, he had basically, uh, def- he had basically left McFarlane out of his testimony on the on the witness stand, and so that's what he's got over McFarlane, and he's just going to keep putting the screws to him forever, you know. And he just won't let up. He even tries to buy him off, and 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 set him up out of town somewhere and make him wealthy. And he and Karloff's not having it. He 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 enjoys torturing McFarlane way too much. I mean, it's there's there's definitely some. I mean, it's it's. It's really rich and and complex, and it's only like seventy seven minutes long. It's a really short, uh, well, by today's standards, it's short. I know a lot of movies were that length, and many horror movies were that length. Most of Universal movies are, uh, but it's it. There's just so much packed into it. Uh, it's it, it it just. The, the, I mean, there's. I I had never really heard of Burke and Hare before watching this i don't know how but i know there's even movies about them and uh, i believe there's a uh, there's definitely a movie i gotta track down because peter cushing's in it it's from like the early 60s about burke and Hare. um but yeah, there's uh, a recent one too with uh with uh by john landis called, called oh really burke, called burke and Hare. It oh only really came out a couple of years ago yeah it stars oh, geez, what's I his just... name who's the guy that played Gollum? Jeez, andy circus andy circus how oh, i didn't know that i'm gonna have to look that up Wow. Okay. Well, that's a new one on me. I missed that one too. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, there's just, you know, the whole cast is, is, is pretty, is pretty strong. And, and, you know, we talked about Lugosi and, and Daniel and, and, and the, 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 oh, one thing I forgot to mention when I was going to talk about Burke and Hare there, when I was looking on doing a little research online, you know, our, our Karloff characters, John Gray, well, there was a James Gray who actually was – him and his wife discovered the body of Burke and Hare's last victim in Burke's apartment and before they had a chance to deliver it to Knox. So I don't know if that's – that's probably where Robert Louis Stevenson got the hmm. the name to you know put in the, the story, which actually I don't think – this is set in – of course, uh, Stevenson wrote it in the late 1800s. But this is set in like 1831, so he's writing it about you know 70 years or so later. Uh, but it you know he it's I haven't read. Have you ever read the story? I have not. I, I've read uh, the only Lewis Stevenson I've ever read is Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah, me too. I've I've I have um, I, I have it here, but I have not read it yet. So 
I, I'm just going by the movie, which I, I think the movie kind of, from, from my understanding, I haven't read the book, but just from uh, doing a little research online, that sounds like the Fetty's, uh, his, his role has changed to that of uh, more of a student versus uh, he's almost more of a contemporary to McFarlane in the story, mm-hmm. just from what I read. But I mean, it, it, you know, it, it works out well that, uh, you know, there's this promising young uh, idealistic doctor in training and, you know, he sees the, the seedy underside of, of, of all this. And it's, it, of course, I don't even think he realizes how seedy it's going to get. I mean, it just, it escalates rather quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, McFarlane likes to pretend that he is not involved in what Gray's doing, but he's clearly, you know, giving him like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. Cause he keeps talking about, I need more bodies I need more bodies. Well, if you keep, you know, supply and demand, buddy, you know, you keep demanding more bodies and eventually the morgue is going to run out of fresh subjects. So uh, you want to, John Gray wants to keep in business. So what, you know, what do you think is happening? I mean, yeah, that scene you mentioned where he goes to kill the singer is really beautifully staged. And we, we talked about this at the very beginning about just how much in command of the form Robert Wise had. Right mm-hmm. at the beginning. Now, I mean, Robert Wise's first film as, as editor was a little project called Citizen Kane. So, <laughs> you know, he kind of knew, you know, he, he managed to, to, to get his, uh, you know, get his skills and uh, his tools sharpened very early. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that's, it's pretty remarkable that for a first film that he had this level of command of the sound of the, I mean, that's one of the things that's, that, that keeps this, uh, in my mind, being a, a Val Luton film uh, is the, a lot of the sound uh, mm-hmm. that that scene is great. There's a uh, there's a Luton there's in this movie there's a Luton bus. Are you familiar with that term? What that means? A Luton bus? No, I'm not. Okay. In Cat People, uh, they get a big scare out of the air brakes of a bus. Oh yes, rolling yes. in. And so in every film after that, Val Luton would insist on putting in what they called the loot and bus, which was something popping into the frame with a, with a loud sound that scared you. And in this movie, there's a horse that, mm-hmm. uh, that snarls and sort of snorts very quickly into the frame and, and that's the loot and bus. So it's like the minute I saw that, I'm like, okay, it, the, you know, this is still, even though it's not set in contemporary times and it's, it's more a typical Karloff movie. I mean, this really could be happening during Frankenstein time. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just the next town over, basically, what's <laughs> right. going on. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it has some of the similar Luton preoccupations. I would say this film is more fun than a typical Val Luton movie. Val Luton movies tend to just deal with death and dysfunction. Uh, Cat People is all about sexual dysfunction. And the seventh, seventh victim is about someone who wants to kill themselves but lacks the, the, the will really to complete the job. Mm-hmm. This, one, this one's more fun. This is more bloody and pulpy. Yeah, I think it's more – it's a little more – you know, there's, there's a little bit of like McFarland's – he's in denial of who he is. He's trying to deny his past uh, to a point. You know, he's, he's putting on airs obviously as the head of this school and he's, he's got his hands very dirty. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 uh, Karloff's gray uh, helped cover that up. You know, he, he helped cover up some of that dirt and, uh, you know, and, and because of that, he's going to torment him from then on. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, I, I see what you're saying. It's not quite, you know, the, the, it's not quite maybe as deep as, um, as some of the, some of the Luton films, 
but it's still, you know, it's 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 much more compared to uh, uh, to House of Frankenstein and Shakespeare, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really nice combination of Val Luton's sort of at times kind of uh, snooty airs. <laughs> And yeah. Boris Karloff's more, you know, Boris Karloff wanted to elevate his game. And Luton, I don't want to say Luton lowered his, but it was just, it's a nice pairing of the two. It's that mm-hmm. he, you know, he respected Karloff. He met, you know, clearly saw that this guy wanted to do a lot more. And he gave him a really good part. And he gave him a good script with interesting characters. I mean, every character in this movie gets a little something interesting to do. I mean, there are no... Really, there are no throwaway characters in Luton films. The wife mm. has something interesting. The Fetty's, you know, even though he's a little on the dull side, he's interesting. I mean, everybody, even the little side people, like there's the great moment in the bar at the at the end where McFarlane is there. And everybody, like there's all these guys there singing with their grogs of beer, you know, and they're all like, yo, ho, ho, or whatever the hell they're singing. And then yeah. the family of the dead woman comes in and they've got the the veil, you know, the, the other women have the veil on and like the other members of the bar are like, Oh, like they quiet down because they want to be respectful of mm-hmm. the grieving family. Like just these little great little details. Cause Val Luton really was interested in characters and interested in people. And so I think he had that preoccupation and you know, yeah, you talk about compared to house of Frankenstein, this is Shakespeare because house of Frankenstein <laughs> is just nonsense. It's fun nonsense, but it's nonsense. Right. And you know, this, this is definitely more, akin to a James Whale kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. that level of sophistication. Right. And I mean, there's, there's so many, you're talking about the sounds and there's, there's thematic elements that come back. Like, you know, uh, Karloff tells the little girl that, you know, keep an eye out for my horse. He'll, he'll look out for you. And then the little girl is obsessed with, you know, wanting to see that white horse again. And of course, at the end of the movie, she hasn't walked and, and, you know, uh, McFarland's just despondent that, you know, uh, he he didn't you know he knows he did the surgery right but she's not walking and <laughs> look how and, mad at he gets <laughs> yeah he gets angry with her and 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 then he goes off to you know he just leaves him there he's going to says I'm going to get drunk you know basically <laughs> <laughs> and so show him after the show him the door Fetty's I'm going to go meet me at the pub and Fetty's doesn't show up but Gray does and then there's this great scene with you know where where McFarland's showing like. You know, I, I put the I put her spine back together like this, and he picks up like two glasses, illustrating how he did it. And Karloff just smashes him off the table, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You're no doctor," you know. And he's he's just like now he's really got him, and he's just really sticking the, you know, the, he's basically saying, "You're no better than me," you know. You you're not a doctor, you know. And after Karloff goaded him into doing it, you know, so it's just it just shows him, man, this guy will not stop. There's no there's no point that this guy's going to quit finding some way to stick it to this to McFarland. And, but you know, at the end of the movie, the little girl, uh, you know, Fetty's is his, he's left McFarland, uh, Meg, his, uh, you know, McFarland's hidden wife has begged him to leave. Uh, and, uh, you know, because, uh, McFarland's left to confront gray. And, and so she says, you know, get out of here, you know, don't, you don't want any part of this. And so he bumps into the mom and Georgina, the little girl, and uh, she's while the mom and Fetty's are talking, she hears the hooves, which we've heard the hooves all through the movie, mm-hmm. the trollop of the hooves. And, and we heard it when the, the carriage was going after the, the blind or not the blind, the singing, the, the singer, the street singer. And the little girl, you know, stands up to see the 
to see the uh, see if she can see the horse, and then you know uh, she can now now she can walk. The, the the surgery worked, and that that leads Fetty's to go find McFarland, who's off selling Gray's carriage after he killed him. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 great how it all it's really well developed, and I don't know how much of it. Is the screenwriter versus Stevenson because I haven't read the story and I really need to, but it's just it's it's it just wraps up so nicely. Everything's just really well thought out and uh, it's just a really well done film. Am I the only person that uh, that has probably seen both films where where the kid is trying to get uh, the kid is standing up after the operation and she's standing up for the first time and she's yelling at Fetty's and her mother, "Hey, hey, mom, mom!" and they're not looking. They're busy yeah. talking. That reminded me of the kid at Niagara Falls in Superman 2. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice, honey. Yeah, exactly. The, the mom's eating the cotton candy, and the kid just takes a header into the Niagara Falls. It's a, I was like, this little girl's <laughs> going to pitch herself over the castle to try and find these horses. But yeah, stupid kids. Uh, Crystal pops up and catches her. You know, exactly. Of course he's Jewish. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do talk about the ending, because the ending is, is so well-staged, and apparently oh. from things I had read, that it it drove people out of the theater uh, in 1945 because it was so scary because it is lit beautifully because all of a sudden, uh, like I said, they're in the ca- – first of all, it's bad enough that they have to put the corpse into the carriage with them because mm-hmm. the carriage isn't big enough, which is ridiculous. So they have this body and then, you know, they keep – McFarland keeps hearing the, you know, the voice of Karloff. He finally goes mad enough that he, he just can't help it. He has to look. You know, he, you know he shouldn't, but he can't help it. He pulls it back. And right at that moment, there's a lightning crack, and you see uh, Gray's corpse, and it's Karloff with his shirt off, mm-hmm. which you didn't see a lot. You typically really didn't see too much of like Boris Karloff without clothes on, and no. the way it's lit, like he's pale white, and it just looks horrifying. It looks really bad. I mean, the rain is pouring. It's a. It is in a movie full of great scenes. The best scene to me is the final sequence. Yes, it's so well done, so well staged, and all credit to Robert Wise. And and there's this wonderful, well, you know, the the, the carriage, the horse takes off because of the lightning crack, and I think you know McFarland screams, and 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 the the carriage takes off, and Fetis is knocked down because he stepped out to grab the the lantern to look, right, and he's knocked away, and so then the the McFarland and the body are in this carriage as it's just you know going wild and the rain and. And and Karloff's body is bouncing around in a way that looks like he's trying to grab the reins. Yeah, his arms are flying in all directions. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it looks like he's like literally trying to to, to grab the reins and drive the carriage off. And of course, the horses come loose and the carriage goes off. And it, and I mean, but it's it's this. I mean, it really is. The first time I saw that this film was probably about like ten years ago or so on TCM. And I had never seen it before, and, and and I had no idea what to expect. It's like you know, it was it was uh, Karloff, and it was it was I think it was a Halloween night, and uh, yeah, perfect. And I was just like, oh my god, that was the best, like one of the best endings to a horror movie I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's way more intense than you would expect for a 1945 mainstream mm-hmm. horror movie. It really yes. is in terms of just the 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 way it's put together, and the and the, the the rain is just pouring on off of uh, McFarlane's face over Henry, Henry Danielle's face. And it's just, he's, you just know he's going mad because he's, he's just so racked with guilt that, mm. uh, you know, because he's just, yeah. And, you know, th- this movie to that point doesn't have anything supernatural. 
So you're like, well, okay, I get, you know, is this really happening? And then, of course, Fetty's looks at the body, and the body is the woman that they mm-hmm. put their gut. So you're like, oh, okay, this was all in McFarland's head, and he was driven mad by mm-hmm. his guilt. So you're yes. like, it's perfect. It's a perfect way to end this story. It, it keeps it out of the realm of supernatural. It's all just very straightforward. It really is. It's it's a terrific way. And the, the, as you mentioned, I don't know how much of that is from the original book. It's The, the movie was co-written by Val Luton. Uh, he's not credited. He uses his pen name, Carlos Keith, on mm. the screenplay. But that's Val Luton. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how much of it is Robert Louis Stevenson or how much of it is, is uh, Val Luton or a screenwriter. But they put together a real winner, and Karloff apparently was really happy with it, and they went on to do two more films together. And uh, mm-hmm. I- I'd say this is the most successful of the three. There's uh, Island Isle of the Dead is mm-hmm. my least favorite of the three, and then they did Bedlam, which is really very good too. So they had a really you know nice, fruitful partnership. But, and, but it sounds like almost, almost everybody that dealt with Bar- Car- Boris Karloff came away – happy you know yes. like they liked him he was a nice guy and a fun guy and so you know people just and i think you you mentioned about some of the bad films that you know boris karloff did and he did a, a lot i i think there's just an inherent likability to karloff that even when he's in a movie that isn't very good you tend to just shrug your shoulders and forgive it you know right. you, don't, you don't go oh that was a bunch of crap i can't believe it you're just like yeah that's all right boris well you know we'll go see another one it's fine you just you just, you just forgive him even when the movie isn't that great Right. I mean, I think I think any movie he's in is worth watching because he's in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I think he's he's that type of actor. I mean, he, you know, the, the, you know, he's another one like like Vincent Price, despite his uh, his uh, reputation as the you know, one of the patron saints of, of horror. He he actually has the acting chops to uh, to give you a great performance, no matter the material. And, uh, you know, he he didn't do as many bad films as probably as Lugosi did uh, because he, he always, he was always in demand. He never, his career uh, never hit the skids, unfortunately, like, like Lugosi's did. Uh, So, you know, even though he did do, you know, some things that weren't the best, you know, he was also, you know, off playing Captain Hook on Broadway or, you know, narrating this children's record over here, or you know, doing the Grinch or yeah. Mad Monster Party. You know, like we talked yeah, about. Yeah, he, he was a national treasure. I mean, if you go through his filmography, and there's there's a lot, 206 credits. Uh, I mean, there are some. There's dotted with some great stuff here. I mean, aside from all the stuff he did with Corman and whatever, he's in Black Sabbath by Mario oh, yeah. Bava, and he's terrific in that. They use him mm-hmm. really perfectly in that movie. He's in two Abbott and Costello movies. I can't mm-hmm. claim that those are particularly great movies, but I love them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love any movie that has a comma in the title. Abbott and Costello meet the killer, comma, Boris Karloff. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's in Targets uh, mm-hmm. with Peter Bogdanovich, which is probably, you talked about how you think this is his best role. I think Targets is his best role because he's sort of, he's just playing a version of himself. And have you ever seen Targets? I have not. We uh, talked about that. I, I've so got to get on good. that. It's so I know it. good. And I, I, I've got to. Put, that's that's on my short list of things I've got to see because we talked about that when we did Mad Monster Party. Okay. So. Yeah, we will have to. Whenever you get to see it, we'll have to. You'll have to come back and cover it on the show because I I love. It is so atypical of what you expect from Boris Karloff, but but the Peter Bogdanovich loves Boris Karloff, worships him, and gives him some great, great moments. And it is a, it's a really scary movie because, I mean, it's not a monster movie. It's about a guy who is a random uh, assassin, a guy that goes and buys a gun and goes kills random people 
So it's yeah. it's you know a ripped from the headlines kind of thing, but yet it finds a way to work in Boris a Boris Karloff character. Uh, it is a terrific movie, and I like to tell myself it's Boris Karloff's last movie because he <laughs> because he died not too long afterwards. But if you look at his IMDb profile, he did six more movies after that. So. Yeah, yeah, the, those Mexican movies where he yeah. was literally – he'd get up out of the wheelchair, stand up for two or three minutes, they'd film him, and then he'd get back in the wheelchair with yeah. his oxygen tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which but, is sad, but they, he kept working till the end. He said he sure wanted did. to, and he did. He sure did. So. Yeah, he's terrific. So uh, I think we should maybe wrap it up here. Is there anything else you want to say before we, before we do about Boris Karloff or The Body Snatcher? Uh, if you haven't seen this, if you're a fan of Boris Karloff, you definitely need to to check this out. If you're a fan of fan of Val Luton, Boris Karloff, or just good, you know, classic horror movies, if you haven't seen this one, it's uh, it's a gem. I, I think it's a gem, and I've, I've definitely got to go see Targets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I agree to all those statements. Perfect. So, uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for for coming back, and this is perfect. It's the best way to celebrate Boris Karloff's uh, whatever. Term, 129th, or, or 129th, you know, whatever that is not centenary, it's more than that at this point. But, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you don't have to look far. I'm, I'm here on the Fire and Water Network, I'm on the Supermates podcast. Uh, occasionally, you and me will do a Power Records podcast, which we need to do. We haven't done one in a while, we haven't done one in a while, it's true. And, and uh, and pretty soon, keep your eyes peeled for the bat signal. Um, Ryan Daly and I are starting the Nightcast podcast, which yes. will cover. The Batman comics of the post-crisis era, which is for, so from 1986 onward. I'm very good. Looking forward to that show, except when you do the Max Allen Collins Robin stories. <laughs> <laughs> so. You and me both, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I, I just have to listen. I don't have to actually participate. So, yeah, we're very excited about uh, We have a lot of some good new shows coming up to the network. It's all very exciting. And, of course, Supermates podcast is awesome. We love that show, so we're very happy to have it as a part of the network as well. Uh, of course, you can find this show over on Twitter at Film and Water Pod, and you can find it on the network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. So, Chris, once again, man, always enjoy talking to you, man. You'll never be rid of me, Toddy. Never. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> you have such a repertoire going. That's, that's awesome. So, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next week, that's a wrap. When he did finally did one film, the body the body snatcher I did, and he he had uh, he had uh, done so much work on the script uh, from from the original writer that this, the uh, writers guild insisted that somebody else share credit with him, and so he didn't want to take away from the actual writer. So he said uh, uh, Philip McDonald and Carlos Keith, that was his pen name that uh, that he had used when he was writing a. Uh, Got swashbuckling novels and stuff before he became a producer. He was a brilliant man. He was absolutely brilliant. And gave me my start as a director and, and, uh, and uh, just an absolutely brilliant producer and a brilliant man.